It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 500 of Locked On Raptors for Thursday, April 25th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode. Make sure you're subscribing, rating, and reviewing to all the Locked On Podcast Network shows as well on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, wherever it is you get your podcasts. Uh, we got a lot of great stuff on the network right now. Of course, with the playoffs going on, the NFL Draft, I think, is going on Thursday night or Friday. I don't exactly know because I don't really care about the NFL. But if you are a person who cares about the NFL, you definitely know when the draft is, and you should definitely be checking out all of the local Locked On NFL shows to get a local perspective on what your team is up to. And the Locked On NFL show, too, had a mock draft this week. If you want to go through all that as well, it's a lot of great stuff on the network right now. So please make sure you're finding shows that you want to support and doing so by subscribing, rating, and reviewing. And make sure you download Himalaya as well if you are in the market for a new podcast app. It's great for personalizing your own podcast playlists, and uh, you should check it out if that is something that you're in need of. All right, on today's show, which I just realized was the 500th episode of the show, we are diving in full on into the Raptors and Sixers second round series and joining me to give us the Philly perspective on things and uh, dive deep on this thing is Adam Aronson. You know him as at Sixers Adam on Twitter from Liberty Ballers. Adam, how's it going, man? Pretty good. I'm honored to be the 500th episode. I'd like to think that you saved this for me. You had this planned for all 500. You were waiting for me. Day one of the podcast at the start of the 2016 season. That's exactly what I had planned. (laughs) Uh, No, really, really glad to have you, man. And I am very, very stoked for this series. I was really ready for the playoffs to start because the end of the regular season is like a terrible slog. And then the playoffs started, and you know there was the drama of the Raptors losing Game 1, and it was really fun to watch the Raptors beat the Tar out of the Magic for the next four games, but it really does kind of feel now like they're actually starting, the playoffs are, and the Sixers series is 
by my estimation of, of all the likely second round matchups, of course, the West is still yet to be settled, but of all the ones that we're expected to see outside of maybe Warriors Rockets, I think this is the most interesting series. And it might be more interesting because we haven't seen it before uh, with these additions of the team. We haven't even seen the way these teams are built right now. They haven't even played a regular season game against each other. So there's a whole lot of unknown and a lot of very interesting elements to how these teams are going to line up. Adam, let me start with this. You know, I like to go into a series and kind of gauge the tenor of the opposing team's fan base. And I can speak for Raptors fans right now. It's There's like a confidence that I've never really encountered from Raptors fans before. And it's kind of weird and unsettling. And uh, I'm waiting for the shooter drop and a game one loss to happen for everyone to go back into existential dread mode. But the, people seem pretty happy and confident about the Sixers matchup in Toronto. What are people in Philly feeling about this matchup? Is there trepidation? Is there confidence? What's the sort of mood right now among sort of the general consensus of Sixers fans? So there's a pretty similar vibe, actually, and it also surprises me because I think people know uh, Philadelphia sports fans tend to uh, lean negatively more than they do positively. <laughs> uh, but but there seems to be this uh, positive energy uh, among Sixers fans, especially you know, the vocal ones on social media, um, the hashtag Sixers and Six has, uh, has been a big thing for, for a few months now. Um, and I personally, uh, feel trepidation about this. I, Toronto's a team who has always played the Sixers well, as you know. Um, and so I, I think I respect Toronto a lot more than the average Sixers fan. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I just think you look, up and down at these rosters, and I just think the the Toronto roster is so clearly a level above what Philly has. Even when you add Jimmy Butler in November, you add Tobias Harris at the February trade deadline. When you look at the Sixers bench, like it's not even a bench that can pass off for a good NBA team, let alone one that is that says they're trying to win the Eastern Conference. Mm-hmm. So, what they're going to need is is Joel Embiid to a, be fully healthy, which is a massive question mark. They're going to need Ben Simmons to have the best series of his career going against Kawhi Leonard, who I'm sure we'll get into later. Kawhi has guarded Ben terrifically in their previous matchups this year. And they're going to need Jimmy Butler to be every bit as good as they wanted him to be when they traded for him. Mm-hmm. And the same thing for Tobias Harris. And, and even if all four of those guys play up to their potential it might not be enough so they're going to need contributions from other guys J.J. Redick uh, historically in his career has not been a good playoff performer they're going to need him to make big shots and they're also going to need him to be able to survive defensively they're going to need some players on their bench to step up Mike Scott is a fan favorite he hit a huge shot in Brooklyn he had a great series Sixers fans love him but at the end of in, in the at the end of the first half of Game Five of the first round against Brooklyn, uh, he suffered a right heel contusion. He's listed as day to day, but Brett Brown says that he doesn't expect Scott to play in Game One. Mm-hmm. So you're taking a bench that really only had one good bench player, which is Scott. You're removing him, and now the Sixers' sixth best player is James Ennis, and <laughs> and I like James Ennis, and I think James Ennis can have a role on a good team, but. I don't think that role is a six-man. So um, even though the the uh, it's a there's an optimistic vibe right now among Sixers fans, um, 
I don't think it's particularly realistic. Um, as you'll probably see as we keep talking, I'm not feeling particularly great about this series from a from a Sixers perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you said you were pretty stoked, and I get why I'm not stoked because I would <laughs> like the Sixers to win, and and I'm not feeling too great about it. Yeah, uh, I, like I said, I fully expect a game one loss to throw us all back into the throws of Raptors-related depression. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so we'll get into the starting lineups in just a second. I think he made a lot of good points there, and you know the the injury to Mike Scott. While it seems you know big for the Sixers, I think Raptors fans are even more like thrilled about it because like, and not to say you're happy a guy's hurt, but. The way that he punked the Raptors last year as, like, the only good bench player on the Wizards was pretty profound and uh, really frustrating. He was, like, the ultimate Raptor killer last year and has kind of been that his whole career. Um, I don't know if that has any bearing on how he'll perform in a playoff series, you know, of this magnitude, but it certainly can't, you know, hurt the Raptors' cause if he's limited or even not available for Game 1, like Brett Brown alluded to, like you said. Um, I guess the other injury on the Philly side that you mentioned is Joel Embiid, and this has been my sort of biggest source of optimism for this series because I think Embiid, I don't think he's the best player in the series. I think Kawhi is sort of a more refined offensive player. You can kind of run your offense through him a little bit more reliably. And like I think just the way his, Kawhi's defense on the wing kind of uh, changes the, the, the shape of the floor for a lot of teams. Like I know Embiid's a fantastic defender and everything, but I think Kawhi's defense is a little bit more, uh, I guess, like important on the wing, if that makes any sense. Uh, so I'd put Kawhi, but I, like Joel Embiid's like right behind Kawhi in terms of like the hierarchy of players in the series. But there's the knee thing and the fact that he missed one of the games of the of the Nets series. And you know I know he's been putting up like insane numbers against Jarrett Allen and whoever else the Nets were trying to throw at him. But uh, I don't know what's your level of concern with Embiid's health? Like what is sort of the scuttlebutt out of Philly? Is there like concern that he'll miss games in this series as well, or is it just a matter of he's just going to gut it out and um, you, you hope that he's as close to you know as a as possibly effective as he can be? Uh, what's the deal with Embiid right now going into the series? So I I'm pretty pessimistic about Embiid's health. I, I have a lot of worries, um, and most of that stems from um, clearly he he has a immobility right now that he usually doesn't mm-hmm. and. That makes him a liability switching on the perimeter, defending smaller players. And also, if he has to face big men who can pop out and knock down a jumper, those guys are going to get open looks. And he had a perfect matchup in Brooklyn, a team that doesn't seek out switches particularly often, and they don't have any bigs who can shoot Mm -hmm. or really give him any trouble scoring down low. I like Jared Allen as a player but he's just not strong enough to guard Embiid. And he was their only real center once Ed Davis went out. Mm-hmm. But then you look at Toronto. That I, I think they, I mean, you could attest to this much better than I can, but I think they sweep, seek out switches a lot more than, than Brooklyn does. And their two centers in this series are going to be Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka. Both of those guys can step out and knock down open jumpers. I think we're going to see a lot of pick and roll with those guys where instead of rolling, they just pop out. Mm-hmm. And Embiid's going to, is going to surrender those open jumpers to them, and and those guys are going to get great looks, and so obvious. And and I don't want to just phrase it as my concern with Embiid's health is just about this series because I do think there is an issue with how the Sixers have used him, which is a whole different discussion. Mm-hmm. But um, that could 
endanger his short-term health and his long-term health. Um, but as it pertains to this series in particular, um, I think the the side effects of his knee, uh, of his knee being injured, uh, particularly in this matchup, uh, can be harmful for the Sixers. But as for uh, how much he's going to play, uh, he was taken off the injury report uh, today during practice. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine, now that we're in round two, like you said, it, it felt like round one was kind of the warm-up, and now round two is the real thing. And I think now that we're at the real thing, I think he's going to play every game. I don't know if he's, how much he's going to play. Early in the season, he was averaging 36, 37 minutes a game, which was kind of crazy. But against Brooklyn, he averaged, I think, around 25 and a half minutes per game, 26 and a half minutes per game. Mm-hmm. And, and I would imagine that'll get increased somewhat. I don't know if he's going to play a like a majorly significant amount of minutes, but uh, I would expect him to play every game, and I would expect him to play more each game than he did against Brooklyn. Because I think Brooklyn, I respect them as a team, but to some extent, it was kind of a tune-up for this team getting ready for Toronto. Now, before we go any further, I want to tell you about our sponsor for today, and that is WiseCam. Wise is the indoor camera that does it all. Wise is packed with premium features that allows you to see everything from anywhere for only 20 bucks a camera. 1080p full HD, images so clear you won't miss a thing, night vision, two-way audio as well. You get it all with Wise. Wise's mission is to bring amazing smart home products into every single home and make them accessible to everyone. Check on your home anytime with Wise's app's live stream. Connect with life as it unfolds in sharp focus. You you can live stream, that is, with digital zoom, eight times digital zoom to be exact. One of the fantastic features of Wise is that you get free 14-day rolling cloud storage as well as no subscriptions. So you don't have to pay anything subscription-wise and you get 14 days of back catalog from what's going on in your house. You want to go check what was going on in your kid's playroom two weeks ago? You can go back 14 days and see what was up and why that lamp got broken. You can also get as many wise cams as you want to put around your house. It's only 20 bucks a camera, so you can use it for anything. You can have one sit in the kitchen, so you can watch food while it's simmering on the couch while you go have a glass of wine or something. You want to go watch plants go through, grow through time lapse. You can stick your camera out in your garden. If you want to watch contractors repave your driveway via, via time lapse, you can do that. You want to make sure everything's in working order with your kids or whatever it is when you're at work. You can do that as well and check it all with your mobile phone anywhere in the world. And you want more, they got that too. For just $10 more, WiseCam Pan gives you 360-degree coverage in under three seconds. Life moves fast, and your camera should too. 110-degree per second rotation speed, 360-degree horizontal range, and a 93-degree vertical range. Patrol your room, that is, with Pan Scan. Set the camera's patrol route with up to four custom waypoints. WiseCam Pan automatically detects, tags, and tracks motion within its field of view. Keeping up with life in real time has never been so easy. It works with your Alexa or your smart speaker as well. And once again, free 14-day rolling cloud storage. It is a great feature. No subscriptions required for that. And it works, once again, anywhere in the world from your mobile phone. You could be on vacation somewhere. You want to check in on what's going on at your house, make sure everything's in working order, make sure nothing is burned down. Make sure you're checking in on your Wise app on your phone, and you can do that from anywhere on the mobile app. If you want to get Wise, go to wise.com slash locked to get the guaranteed lowest price. That is wise, W-Y-Z-E dot com slash locked to get the guaranteed lowest price on WiseCam. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, 
helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, and I think the talk of Embiid and all of this kind of leads us into sort of, I guess, like the meaty part of this series, which is just like these two starting fives are awesome. Like probably outside of, I guess you could say the Warriors if you want, although the Warriors look like they're going through something right now. Um, like Guaranteed the two best starting lineups in the Eastern Conference. And I I guess I I wrote a piece today where I put it as, I think Philly has the most talented starting five. I think the Raptors, the way they operated against the Magic, like they kind of look like maybe the healthiest or the best. And, but like that could change on a dime, obviously, depending on the matchups. And the matchups are fascinating in this series um obviously you, the starters you got Gasol and Embiid going up against each other you've got Simmons and, and Lowry you've got Green Redick uh Kawhi up against Jimmy Butler and then Tobias Harris and Pascal Siakam um but like I don't I, I don't I don't know if I can handicap who's gonna guard who in this series because there are a lot of different ways both of these teams could go and I wouldn't be surprised by anything really because the Raptors they like to move their guys around. Like Pascal Siakam in certain games will guard literally one through five, uh, or at least one through four for you know four or five possessions here and there. Kawhi has not really spent much of this season guarding the go-to options for a lot of teams, but you know the way he's performed against Ben Simmons this year would tell me that he's probably going to spend most of the series on Ben Simmons. Uh, I think there are arguments for and against Kyle Lowry guarding both Jimmy Butler. And uh, and JJ Redick in this series, and sort of like just moving off ball with Redick, or you know trying to you know go the uh, go go the Sixers into having like Jimmy Butler try to post up and stuff like that, which is usually not a win if you're going to post up on Kyle Lowry and have Danny Green run around with JJ Redick. Like outside of Gasol on uh, Embiid and then Kawhi on Simmons, I don't think there's like a very obvious way to sort of handicap who's going to guard who here. Um, but I'm wondering what what you think is going to be the way the Sixers line up defensively. Like, where, where do you think everyone is going to be? You know, looking across when the, when Game One starts. Obviously, things change as the season as the series goes along and adjustments are made. But for Game One, how would you expect the Sixers to approach guarding the Raptors? So I've been thinking about this for a long time. Basically, since it became clear that the Sixers were going to be the third seed and the Raptors were going to be the second seed, I've been mm-hmm. thinking about this series and how the Sixers can match up. And it's obvious that Embiid is going to guard, defend Marcus Gasol, and at least to me, it's obvious that JJ Redick is going to guard Danny Green. Danny Green is not a nothing offensively, but he's the the least threatening as a shot creator or a playmaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I think the Sixers are going to make it a point of emphasis to keep JJ Redick away from ball handlers as much as they can, and. And just as a side note, he guarded Joe Harris for much of the Brooklyn series, and he did a very impressive job, way better than than I think anybody expected from him. He did a really good job of fronting Joe Harris, of preventing him from getting open on screens. And so the hope is that he can repeat that against Danny Green, even though I think Danny Green's a little bit better of a player, maybe not on offense, but overall I think he's a better player than Joe Harris. Obviously, he's got so much more playoff experience. He's a champion, all of that. Um after that, it really uh, it could go anywhere. So at, originally, my my idea was Ben Simmons would guard Kawhi Leonard because Ben is the best perimeter defender on this team. Whether that's against a one, a two, or a three, uh, you would probably imagine that it's Jimmy Butler. 
Um, in the regular season, Butler was coasting, though, and Ben Ben was at times, but not to the extent that Butler was. Mm-hmm. And even with Butler having, uh, you know, flipped the switch, we'll call it, uh, since the playoffs have started, I still trust Ben more in that matchup now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Butler would take Kyle Lowry and Tobias Harris would guard Siakam. But then I watched the Orlando series, and I saw Pascal Siakam, and I was just sitting there saying, there's no way Tobias Harris is going <laughs> to be able to guard this guy. There's just no way. So so Butler also can't guard him. Butler, because he's too small. So that left me thinking that Ben can guard Siakam, because I really think he's the only player who can. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and then Tobias Harris... I love very likable player. Hope he's with the Sixers for a long time. He would he would get obliterated by Kawhi Leonard, mm-hmm. and so I think I would put Jimmy Butler on Kawhi Leonard, and I would have and I would run the risk of putting Tobias Harris on Kyle Lowry. And I know how good Kyle Lowry is. I don't want this to sound like you could just hide somebody on him because I know how great he is as a player. I know underappreciated he is, um, but I did see something from Harris in the first round series against Brooklyn. It was he had a particularly strong defensive stretch, one that I don't remember him ever having with the Sixers or with any other team. Um, obviously, I've watched him much more with the Sixers now, but mm-hmm. um, he was guarding he was guarding bigger players like Damari Carroll and Rodion Skorups, who aren't exactly imposing matchups. But then at later points in the game, there would be stretches where he would guard D'Angelo Russell or Spencer Dinwiddie. And you would imagine that he would kind of get roasted in that kind of situation, but he really held his own. And I think if you give him a chance to just bother Kyle Lowry, he's so much bigger. Mm-hmm. And that does mean something, even if Lowry's a lot quicker and a lot smarter and he just knows what he's doing. Um, I think I think it's worth giving Tobias a shot to at least contain Lowry if that allows you to have... Butler on Leonard and Simmons on Siakam, which I think is their best chance to slow down the the two guys who I'm the most scared of on offense. Yeah, that's really interesting. I had been sort of pinpointing Tobias Harris and J.J. Redick to a certain extent as like the guys that I figured the Raptors would just kind of target anytime they could. And I don't know if the Raptors, you could, I would categorize them as like a team that'll go hunting mismatches all the time. They're not like a crazy pick and roll team or anything like that. Um, they're not really looking for, you know, to, to find those switches all that often, but they have the capability to do it if they want. Um, and obviously with Kawhi and Pascal both being really, really good one-on-one players, you know, maybe that's a way where they can, you know, if Kawhi is being guarded by Jimmy Butler and you've got J.J. Redick on Danny Green, maybe they try to get a switch there where they can, you know, have Danny Green screen for Kawhi. Like, that's the thing about this Raptors team is everyone will screen for everybody. Uh, Kyle set screens, like Pascal, uh, it wasn't very common in the regular season, but in the Magic series, they started having him be the screener a little bit more often too, and that threw the Magic for a loop, and, you know, they got a lot of good looks out of that. And so uh, that's going to be a really interesting thing is the Tobias Harris thing. And I think that's probably the smartest thing. I I hadn't really considered putting him on Lowry, but... Because of how good Pascal is and because of how obvious a mismatch that seemed, I mean, the way you noticed it, it's the, I was thinking the same thing. Like, oh, if Tobias Harris is guarding Pascal, Pascal is going to have himself a series. Um, and it, so to have Harris maybe guard Kyle, and that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And, you know, on the other side of things, I think it may, might make sense for the Raptors to, you know, like I said, I thought maybe you, you start Kyle and have him run around screens and, and, and keep with J.J. Redick or, you know, just put him on Butler. But 
maybe because Harris, among all the guys in the lineup, is maybe the most marginalized in terms of what he's asked to do to create and stuff like that. Obviously, Redick is not creating, but he's you know creating with his off-ball movement and stuff like that in a different sort of way. Like I feel like if there's someone who's likely to be stuck in a corner, not really doing all that much, it's probably Tobias Harris. So maybe that is a way to kind of hide Kyle, who I think Kyle's going to have a fine series, and he was awesome after his scoreless game one against the Magic. He was killer for the rest of the series against Orlando. But, you know, he is going to be at a serious size disadvantage in this series because there's not someone, unless TJ McConnell's on the floor, that he can, you know, match up size for size with. And on defense, I'm not concerned about that so, so much just because he is such a good post defender. His ass is so big that, like, it just weighs him down, and he's so hard for guys to post up. And, you know, they're pretty good at sending him help when he needs it. But uh, on offense, yeah, I think Harris makes a lot of sense as a guy to throw on him. Honestly, I think they can't do a lot of wrong with who they decide to throw in Lowry. Like, if they just decide to put Simmons there, um, I, I think, you know, maybe Lowry's got the quickness edge there, but Simmons is a pretty damn good defender, and he's long, and he, he might bottle Kyle up. Um, you know, that's the kind of defender, if, if Kyle's going to struggle with somebody, it is someone longer that can maybe, you know, just contain him with his arms and stuff like that and make it tricky for him to, you know, get his pull-up threes up pull-up threes off and stuff like that, although he hasn't really been much of a pull-up three guy this year. He's been more of a move-out round off the ball when Kawhi has the ball and, you know, pop open for threes on the wing, um, which maybe, if Harris is guarding him, maybe you can set some off-ball screen action for for Lowry, and that makes it more difficult for Harris to sort of track him through that thicket, and maybe that is a good an advantage you can sort of exploit there instead of having Kyle on the ball all the time. That's the nice thing about the Raptors is, like, they have four guys you can run the offense through feasibly. I mean, Siakam's a little bit uh, unruly at times, but uh, at the same time, you give him the ball, and, and he's a very, very good one-on-one defender, or one-on-one attacker, and um, you know he can make some stuff happen. Obviously, Kawhi, not the distributor Lowry is, but you can give the ball to him, and he can just go, you know, bludgeon somebody, and you know, make the passes that he needs to make when the time calls for it. And then Gasol, they've done a lot of running stuff from the elbows with him, and I wonder if that's going to be something they use in this series a little bit more often as well is, you know, throw it into Gasol 18 feet away from the basket and see if they can draw out Embiid a little bit and then use that gravity that Gasol sort of has as a passer there to maybe pick apart the Sixers with cuts on the baseline and stuff like that. Um, it's all very, very interesting, and I think the matchups are so, so fascinating here. Um, is there one individual matchup that you are most interested in watching to see how it plays out and, and that you think maybe will have the biggest bearing on how the series ends up uh, you know, resulting at the end? Uh, there are two. You just touched on one of them with Gasol and Embiid, so I'll go to the other one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kawhi versus Ben Simmons. Yeah. Uh, we, we mentioned briefly how well Kawhi has defended Simmons this year. And let me just say this. I've watched every single game of Ben Simmons' NBA career. Nobody guards him even close to as well as Kawhi. Mm-hmm. And I looked at the numbers, and it's like, it's pretty jarring. Ben Simmons, per 36 minutes, with Kawhi on the court, averaged just 12.5 points. That's per 36 minutes. And 7.6 turnovers. Mm-hmm. That's a massive number. Ben has done a pretty good job of cutting down on turnovers this year. It, at least at most times but when he plays Kawhi I don't know what it is I mean obviously it's about Kawhi being a great defender but I don't know what it is in that in that matchup specifically that has caused Ben so much trouble like an abnormal amount of trouble even for as good as Kawhi is mm-hmm. I, the, the first time they matched up Ben had a career high 11 turnovers triple double baby to be, baby. <laughs> to, be to be fair to Ben he was starting next to Markel Fultz in that game. <laughs> uh, 
and basically uh, how, how we operate is as if the games where Markel Fultz played did not matter. They did not count. They were like preseason because because his non-shooting, especially when it's put together with Ben's non-shooting, was just so harmful for the team. Mm-hmm. But um, but Ben against Kawhi, he just doesn't get shots up. Like his, his efficiency was fine. I believe he shot up roughly like 60% from the field but he just can't get shots up because Kawhi is so good at limiting everything he's trying to do uh, because I mean everybody knows that Ben is not going to dribble into a three pointer everybody knows he's not going to go pull up for a jumper and, and Kawhi is so smart and and then he, he has the upper body strength he has the length he has the, the ridiculous hands to take that knowledge and, and really uh, exploit Ben in a way that just nobody has been able to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ben only has shot just over four free throws per 36 minutes with Kawhi on the floor. That's considerably less than he does on a normal basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so, I mean, I'm concerned for Ben. Uh, I think if the Sixers were to win this series, I think it would be because Ben Simmons proved that he's on the track to becoming a superstar because that's what would happen if he can, if he can play his game, block out the noise, don't worry about who's guarding you, just go to the rim, get fouled, knock down your free throws, get big dunks, find your teammates, and then obviously the defense, which is its own discussion. But uh, Kawhi is, is by far the toughest matchup that Simmons possibly could have drawn. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, it uh, that certainly gives me a lot of hope for the Raptors in this series, seeing how that played out over the course of the season. And... I don't know if, like, Kawhi is going to be able to maintain that same just, like, oppressive, in-his-face defense for an entire series. Like, that's a lot to ask. And, I, I like, he guarded Simmons for most of those games. But, you know, the, as was the case with Kawhi most of the season, he was never really going full tilt the entire time. And if he decides to go full tilt for the entire series, then uh, I fear for Ben Simmons here. But um, that is a lot, especially considering the offensive burden that Kawhi has and the amount of work that's going to go in I think the scoring on the Sixers in the half court, just with all the you know the the matchup hunting they're going to have to do to you know sort of take advantage of the weak spots, like it's going to be a lot of energy put into playing offense in this series for Kawhi. So I, I wonder how much Nick Nurse will sort of say, all right, Kawhi, like guard him in this section, and then maybe we'll switch it up and we'll let Danny do it here and there, or we'll stick Lowry on him. Although I'm not sure I, I like that matchup very much for the Raptors, uh, or just throw you know Siakam on him because Siakam can guard anybody too. Like the Raptors have at least have some guys who can help with the load and help with the burden that is going to be on Kawhi as the primary guard of Simmons in this series. But uh, yeah, I, I really do think that is an edge for the Raptors uh, based on what we've seen. And things can change, obviously. And that also applies to the Gasol and Embiid matchup that you mentioned is also one that you're keeping an eye on. And it, like, it's hard to not think that this is exactly what the Raptors made that trade for. Like Jonas Valanciunas had, had some pretty good numbers against Embiid in the past, but what Gasol's done over the course of Embiid's like relatively short career, obviously, 
has been really, really impressive. Uh, our pal William Liu tweeted out today the, the numbers for Embiid this season against the Raptors centers. Uh, guarded by Gasol, and these are both Memphis games, I believe. Yeah. 108 possessions. He scored 17 points on those possessions. He was 6 of 18 from the field, so 33%, 5 assists, 7 turnovers. Uh, and the, the career numbers, like Embiid's got, like, I don't know if they're exactly his worst career numbers, but pretty damn close to it. Yeah, against it, it, it's close Marcus to that. Yeah. And I just want to interject, if you don't mind, and add yeah. one other thing. Because I have these same stats written down right here. Yeah. And th- those were 62 minutes. I, you said uh, roughly 110 possessions. I forget the exact number you said. He, Embiid, when he's being disrupted offensively, he's turning the ball over, he can't score. What he always has is the ability to get fouled, get to the line. He's a great free throw shooter. He's called himself the Harden of big men. And he has a point. He gets to the line at a pretty ridiculous rate. In 62 minutes against Marcus Gasol, he only shot eight free throws. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty, for me, as somebody whose primary interest is the well-being of Joel Embiid, <laughs> is, is, is uh, nerve-wracking. Yeah. And, and I think the reason why that is, is Embiid, the guys he struggles with, are not necessarily the biggest guys or the, the strongest or the guys best uh, guarding him out on the perimeter, it's the smartest guys. And mm-hmm. you see it with Al Horford, you see it with Aaron Baines, and you see it with Marcus Gasol. Those guys all are so smart where Embiid can do all of his great moves, but when the time comes for him to rise up for a hook shot or a layup or a dunk or a jumper, those guys are right there with him because they know what's coming because they're, they're, such, they're such smart players who have been in the league for a long time and, and they just know what they're doing. And and I think that is often overlooked with Embiid. And, you know, if you want to find a quote-unquote Embiid stopper, which, I mean, you mentioned it, it kind of seems like Toronto wanted to have an Embiid stopper for this series. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the key trait that people often will look past that is really important. Yeah, Uh I, like I've been watching Gasol on the Raptors now for almost three months, and I don't think I've seen him like make an ill-timed jump or lunge while guarding a post-up. Like he just—he's so steady. He knows exactly that that like him just sticking his arms up and staying in position that that's going to be good enough against most guys. And look, Joel Embiid's not most guys. Like he's insanely good. And yeah. one of my fears in this series is that Embiid is just going to put Marc Gasol into foul trouble a whole bunch. And if that's the case. And Serge Ibaka has to come in uh, to sort of soak up some of those minutes, as we saw in one game against the Magic, where Gasol got into foul trouble early in the third quarter, and that, that was like the one pocket of the entire series where Nick Vucevic was able to sort of heat up. Uh, other than that, Gasol ate his lunch for the entire series, and I almost felt bad for him. But um, like, so the, the Ibaka MB thing is is certainly something I'm not thrilled about potentially seeing. Um, and considering Joel Embiid, you know, be, because of the way the Sixers are constructed, all of their best players play with bench guys. It's just kind of how they have to do it um, to get bench guys in there to get guys rest. And I, I wonder how the rotations are going to work, even if Gasol doesn't get into foul trouble, which I think will happen at least one or two games, you would think, just based on law of averages and how often Embiid gets to the line. Um, you know, even if that doesn't happen, there are still going to be pockets of the game where Ibaka is matched up against Embiid. And that, for me, is something I'm scared of. Yes, Abaka is able to do what you mentioned off the top and sort of pull Embiid out or, you know, 
not pull him out, but still be able to take advantage of those good looks that him not coming out to, to guard him on the perimeter will create. But um, the defensive end there, like that's where you have to get into sending extra help to, to you know give Abaka a hand, and then that's when it can get dangerous because I don't think Embiid's like a Jokic-level passer or anything like that. He's not Gasol. He's not like some savant post-passer, but he's pretty good. And J.J. Reddick's looming out there, and Tobias Harris, and I, I know Jimmy Butler's not a great three-point shooter, but... Um, I don't want him having like an open swing where he can do something off the off the bounce or anything like that either where, where the Raptors are rotating and they're behind and in fairness to the Raptors they time their help extremely well and they rotate like 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 madmen and they're just kind of on a string at all times but um, the Ibaka situation is is a little bit concerning to me because it just feels like at some point foul trouble is going to come in to play in this series um, so that's one very clear advantage I think the Sixers will have is any time a Bach is on the court against Embiid. Are there any other advantages that you think the, the Sixers can kind of exploit in this series that you're kind of looking at as things that like must go the Sixers way in order for them to win the series? Um, as far as advantages go, uh, you touched on it briefly about what Toronto's going to do with Kyle Lowry defensively. Mm-hmm. And that was an inherent uh, matchup nightmare the Sixers created when they swung the Tobias Harris trade yeah. because now your your whole starting lineup is six seven and above of guys who are dynamic offensive threats and then plus JJ Redick who's six three six four maybe but is running around screens all day long and so the the common thought would be that you just put your point guard on Redick mm-hmm. but what I found pretty quickly was that teams hate having their point guard chase J.J. Redick around screens. Mm-hmm. It's exhausting. It's like, I mean, J.J. Redick will tell you from from running around screens chasing Joe Harris and then running around screens himself, it's not fun. Mm-hmm. And and I think, uh, so teams who have smaller point guards, which is the vast majority of the NBA, uh, have an inherent mismatch there that can be exploited because uh, they don't have anybody who they can necessarily hide their point guard on it's not like at the beginning of the season where Kyle Lowry he can he can kind of hide on Wilson Chandler and if the Sixers are going to go to Wilson Chandler down low the Raptors have already won the war but it's not Wilson Chandler anymore it's Tobias Harris who Mm -hmm. can score 30 on a given night who is the definition of a three-level scorer whether that's playing off the ball or on the ball he can do it off the catch he can go isolation pick and roll really whatever you want he's just very good at basically everything when it comes to putting the ball in the basket um and and to be fair Lowry is a better is better equipped for this than most point guards because he is such a good post defender Mm -hmm. um it seems like when I watch Raptors games teams will post him up thinking that it's a mismatch and then they quickly (laughs) realize that it's not actually a mismatch in a similar way to what happens with Mark Smart Mm -hmm. where they're like oh this guy's six like six four Oh, we can post him up with our with our six eight wing, and then he ends up poking the ball away and or drawing an offensive foul. Um, so so to be fair to Toronto, they have a smart point guard who's strong and knows what he's doing. But it is going to be tough for Kyle Lowry to guard Jimmy Butler or to guard Tobias Harris or or even chasing JJ Redick, which he'll do fine at, but is going to exhaust him. And that means something, especially a seven-game series. If the series goes six or seven games, and he's spending the bulk of his minutes running around, navigating through screens to try to not let J.J. Redick get open, and running on into Embiid over and over on the dribble handoffs that the Sixers love so much, it's just gonna be—it's gonna wear him down. 
and then eventually that leads to a downfall in his performance offensively. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, what I would look for is for Lowry to end up guarding Jimmy Butler. That's what I think is going to happen here. Obviously, you probably have a better inclination as to what Toronto will do uh, schematically than I would. But I think I think Lowry takes Butler, and I think he's equipped for it. Uh, Jimmy will probably get the best of him more often than not, mm-hmm. but it won't be like when D'Angelo Russell was on Jimmy Butler in Game 1, and Butler, I think he scored 36 points, he just got whatever he wanted, and then they had to move Russell away from Butler. I don't think it's going to be like that. Even if Butler has a very good series on offense, I don't think it's going to be the type of mismatch where it's just the Sixers are going to it over and over and playing Kyle Lowry off the floor. I, I just... And and you talked earlier about starting lineups, and and I think it's true that in a playoff setting, the Raptors have the best starting five, but in the regular season, I would give that to the Sixers. Mm-hmm. And now we're in the playoffs, and the Raptors have five starters, and none of them are liabilities on either end of the floor. And for the Sixers, J.J. Redick is a liability defensively. Tobias Harris, I wouldn't call a liability but he certainly isn't a plus, mm-hmm. even if he was a plus against Brooklyn. Uh, I think against a much better team with better players at his position, it'll be clear that he's not like even an average defender. He's not horrible, but he certainly isn't good. Um, and that's really what it boils down to for me when, when I'm thinking about making a prediction for this series. Why I lean towards Toronto is, is because they don't have any liabilities. They don't have anybody where it's like, uh, I'm worried about that guy on, on this end of the floor or with, with this type of defense. Mm-hmm. And the Sixers, you do. Yeah, all good points, and I agree with you mostly. I I do think if there is a liability for the Raptors, it's in the second unit, and you know, that's obviously applied to the Sixers as well. And I think it's going to be really incumbent upon Nick Nurse in this series to like make sure three of his starters are on the quarter at the same time. There was this insane stat going around yesterday where... Uh, there are like 31 different three-man combinations who played at some level of minutes in the first round, um, and the top 10 were all just different three-man combos of Raptors starters. <laughs> um, and so, like, that is going to be... That's not what Nick Nurse has really done. He hasn't had three starters with multiple with two bench guys very often, and I think he's going to have to really sort of deviate from his first first round rotation where he'd have a lot of lineups with like Siakam and Green or Siakam and Lowry with Norm Powell, Serge Ibaka and Fred Van Vliet Um, but I I think those lineups in particular like those ones are going to present too many liabilities that you can't have Serge Ibaka and Fred Van Vliet on the court at the same time without lots of extra help Um, and and so I think Nurse is going to have to sort of tweak his rotations a little bit that way It'd be really nice if OG Ananobi was available for this series. I don't think he's going to be, but like because of the size that the Sixers, you know, present, uh, it would be really nice to have a six-eight dude who can rebound and, and guard two through four. That's obviously not going to be the case unless he comes back in the tail end of the series, in which case, you know, that'll change the rotations and everything too. But um, I guess this is a long-winded way of me saying that I'm scared about Fred VanVleet in this series. I thought he was the worst Raptor in round one. He kind of dribbles the ball into the ground way too much, and I the Raptors have all season long, for some reason, had him dictate the offense. Offense even with like Kawhi and Kyle on the floor and Pascal, like they'll have all these good players, and it's all right, Fred, you run the pick and roll, and it's like, eh, but he's not as good at it as everyone else, and so I wonder if Fred's role in this series is going to be 
particularly pronounced because he is undersized and the Sixers are big all the time and they've been using this bench unit where Jimmy Butler is essentially the point guard and there might not just be a lot of space in this series for Fed Van Vliet barring TJ McConnell suddenly becoming like a 10 to 15 minute player where Van Vliet can really thrive. Um, I think he can, you know, manage fine, like off the ball, hanging with JJ Redick or whatever, um, maybe take away some of that load from Lowry, but I think it's going to be tough, A, for Van Vliet to just be on the court period in this series, and B, for the Raptors to run out the, the Lowry-Van Vliet two-man, two-point guard lineups that they like to run, where, you know, those have usually been pretty successful, but I think it's going to be tricky for the Raptors to skew small in this series just because there's size everywhere for the Sixers, because, you know, Ben Simmons is an enormous human being, and it just, it, that having that guy as a point guard gives you such a, a pronounced advantage in that one regard, um, so I, I'm concerned about Fred... I, let me ask you about the bench of the Sixers, and then we can get into some predictions and maybe some just parting shots. But um, like, what should people expect as like the sort of? I know this changes quarter by quarter and changes game by game, obviously over the course of a series. But which guys on the Sixers bench would you expect to see the most often in this series? Um, will we ever see any any lineup without three of the Sixers starters on the court? Like, how does Brett Brown typically manage those in between minutes and sort of those second unit minutes in you know say the late first start of the second quarter and you know late third start of the fourth? So what Brett has done for a few months now, uh, he he had been experimenting with a bunch of different ways of staggering his starters, and he found he found one form of staggering that he that he really liked, which is uh, he keeps Embiid, Simmons, and Reddick together, mm-hmm. and then he has Butler and Harris together. And so the first subs are three bench players for Simmons, Embiid, and Reddick, and then they have Butler, Harris with three bench guys, mm-hmm. and then and then they they go for maybe five or six minutes. The the three aforementioned starters come back, Butler and Harris go out, and then it's those three with two bench players. So at most they'll have three bench players on the floor at one time and those will be lineups with with Butler and uh, and Harris and as you mentioned earlier Butler has become their backup point guard which was something that I was clam- I was clamoring for because TJ McConnell who who I love and I'm grateful for everything he's done with the Sixers just cannot play in the playoffs mm-hmm. I don't I don't care what he did in game four against the Celtics it, it just isn't happening he he's a liability as a shooter teams double off of him they pretend like he's not even there and on defense he's he's a 6-1-6-2 point guard who mm-hmm. isn't particularly strong and can't switch so uh mcconnell was out of the rotation initially um but with mike scott potentially missing time i think he, tj will end up back in the rotation because what they'll do is they'll give slight minute increases to Simmons, to Harris, and maybe to Butler. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of those minutes at the four that they need to be eaten up, uh, they'll bring in TJ. Obviously, McConnell is not a four, but they can have him play point guard and slot Ben over from the one to the four, which is nice to have a player like Ben who really you can put at any spot. You can have him defend anybody. But also... Uh, any Sixers fans who are listening to this probably cringed as soon as I mentioned Simmons and McConnell playing together. Uh, hmm. Those lineups are just dreadful offensively. I mean, you have two ball handlers and neither of them are threats to shoot. Right. It's like it's it's almost funny watching them because like how, how is this an NBA team? 
where they have multiple ball handlers and none of them can shoot. Um, but um, as for who you'll see most in this series, Mike Scott, when he's back, is a lot to play at least around 25 minutes or so. Uh, most of his minutes will come at the four. He'll also get some minutes as a small ball five. Him and Simmons, really, they're both the small ball five. They're kind of like a tag team in those lineups. Mm-hmm. You'll see James S. He's there. He's the only uh, perimeter player off the bench that that Brett Brown seems to trust. Uh, not great, but but about eighty percent of the time he knows what he's doing, and he's he's at the very least a capable defender and a capable shooter. And for this bench, that's like that's a massive upgrade over what they've had in recent years. Uh, so I would imagine you're going to see a lot of James Ennis. And the other question I had, which I'm writing about this, I'm, I'm putting together a big primer for LibertyBallers.com mm. that'll go up hopefully pretty soon, is against Brooklyn, the Sixers could play Boban Marjanovic mm. because the Nets didn't have any stretch bigs who could, who could exploit the fact that Boban can't really move. He's parked into the paint. He's not chasing anybody out to the perimeter. He can't switch on a pick and roll. But now they're playing a Toronto team who not only do they have stretch bigs, they only have stretch bigs. Mm-hmm. So I think Boban will get a chance in game starting with game one because he had a strong series against the Nets. He'll get the first crack at the backup center minutes. But I think he's quickly going to be played off the floor. I think that's a matchup. You talked about before how Toronto isn't like they they seek out mismatches on occasion, but not to an extreme level. Mm-hmm. But I think when Boban's on the floor, they really should make it a point to go at him, whether that's trying to get him to switch or having the guy he's guarding step out and knock down a jumper, or going at him in the pick and roll. Because even though he's he's a massive human being, if you go at him at the rim, you're probably going to score. Mm-hmm. It just like isn't well coordinated, is is how I would describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and after and if Boban gets played off the floor, I'm not sure what they're going to do as in terms of backup center. Uh, Mike Scott is is probably the second best center on this team in a playoff setting, uh, and we don't even know when he's going to play. So after that, are you are you running Ben Simmons as a point center, surrounded by as many perimeter players as you can find, and you just hope that you can run Toronto off the floor and, and just push the pace, but even then a high-paced game is exactly what the Raptors should be looking for. They had the best transition offense in, in the NBA this year. So I, I really just look at the poor roster construction of the Sixers team. It just doesn't seem well thought out. Like the, the trades they made, I liked each of them in a vacuum, but when you look at the surrounding parts, it's just not enough. As good as their starting five is, all the other flaws on their roster mm-hmm. make their starters susceptible to big runs. And and unfortunately for me, not unfortunately for you, I think <laughs> we're going to see a lot of that. Yeah, the Bulbon question is interesting um, because, yeah, like you said, there's not a lot of depth behind him center-wise, although my heart wants Amir Johnson to play because, mwah, that'd be beautiful. <laughs> but... My heart wants Amir Johnson to play too, but unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately I wouldn't bank on it. I don't think Amir Johnson's ankles want him to play either, so uh, yeah. fair enough. I but... feel so bad for Amir. I'm not sure he, he can move from side to side anymore. Yeah. Uh, God, well, I, love, I love Amir Johnson so much. It's absurd, but... Uh... I, 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 wrote, I wrote... Were you the one who wrote the, the love letter of sorts to Kyle Lowry? 
I don't uh, know. I was you? not. No, I don't. I don't. I don't who think so. I, uh, I forget who that was. The might have been uh, Raptors so, Republic thing. A, a Raptors writer who I follow wrote, wrote yeah. a very interesting Kyle Lowry love letter of sorts. Yeah, I think uh, that was a Republic thing. The hated people. enemy Raptors Republic uh, clowns. Uh, we love them. Ooh. I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, I, but I, I'm not I, sure who I, it was. But. I actually wrote a similar thing about Amir Johnson last year because he was pretty unpopular among Sixers fans, even mm-hmm. though last year. He was actually very good as Embiid's backup, and now we're we're kind of off topic. But uh, yeah, I love Amir Johnson as well. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think you're going to see a lot of them. Oh, it's Lewis Satzman. Uh, he's the one who yeah. wrote the Kyle Lowry. Uh, was on this podcast like last week. Uh, Shouts to Lewis. Anyway, uh, yeah, Amir Johnson forever and ever. Uh, as far as the Boban thing, yeah, I think he's going to get played off the floor in pretty short order, whether it's Ibaka or Gasol, however the, the the rotation shakeout, like they're gonna just like pick and pop him to death, I think. And yeah. and then I think the way you described the potential of Ben Simmons playing center, while I think, you know, that that's probably a good look for the Sixers, that aesthetically feels like a lot of fun because that might lead to my favorite Raptors lineup, which is when Pascal Siakam plays center. And they haven't really used it much since Gasol came. Oh, it owns so hard. I love Siakam. Yeah, it owns so hard when he plays center. It's a little trickier now because OG's out. Usually what they do is they would have like Danny, Kawhi, OG, Siakam, two through four. And that was just like arms for days, switching everywhere, and it was perfect. It's a little harder with Norm Powell since he's kind of a like a wild card for him to be the two guard there and slide everyone down. But uh, if Simmons is playing center, I, I think we could see it, and I would be down for that. Um, and yeah, if it gets into a track meet game, I think that does very much benefit the Raptors because of how good they are in transition. And it's not like Ben Simmons is any slouch in transition at all, but um, I think the way the Raptors have played defense as well, and this can be the last point that I make that I think is very much in the Raptors' favor too, is... The turnover battle is going to be very important here. Uh, the Raptors are a pretty low turnover team, although since Gasol came, they've gotten a little bit more, uh, I don't know, a little bit more renegade with how they play offense now, so they're liable to some more turnovers here and there, but uh, they're also scoring pretty much anytime they want to, so it kind of offsets that way. But uh, the Sixers were the sixth worst turnover team in the league this season, and they were the worst turnover team in the first round and the reason the Raptors were able to turn the tides on the magic was and Steve Clifford talked about this after every single game it was like hitting his head against the table is that like when the Raptors turn teams over they are really hard to beat because in transition they are a death machine and that will apply against the Sixers because it applies against everybody they've played this season and the way the Raptors have played defense is, is they've been very aggressive Anytime someone drives anywhere near the paint, they're just got like two or three dudes just sticking their arms in trying to poke balls free. They're pretty disciplined. You know, they'll pick up some extra fouls here and there because of that. But for the most part, they're just getting hands on balls. They got deflections going everywhere. And then pretty much anyone on the court outside of Gasol and maybe Danny Green can, you know, bring the ball up. And, and like Siakam getting the ball off a, off a miss or off a steal him in the open court is horrifying uh, if you're another team. It's delightful if you're a Raptors fan, but um, the turnover battle here is where I think the Raptors have another edge, and if it's going to get into a track meet game where Simmons is the point center, maybe that opens the Sixers up a little bit more to some issues with ball security, which I think will only uh, benefit the Raptors. Uh, Adam, any last thoughts, any little X factors or sort of battles within the series that you're particularly interested in before we get to predictions? 
Uh, as as a bit of a basketball nerd myself, I'm a little interested in the JJ Redick versus Danny Green aspect of this. Obviously, yeah. not nearly as important as Simmons versus Leonard, Embiid versus Gasol, etc. But um, for Redick, uh, offensively, he is kind of he's not exactly the hub of everything the Sixers do offensively. But when he's on the floor, everything seems to either like revolve around him and Embiid and Redick maybe getting the ball in a dribble handoff or running off of screens or they use him as a decoy because he provides so much gravity as a shooter yeah. teams are so scared to let him open that it it allows driving lanes for guys like Simmons and Butler and things like that and he's become a really good screener and Danny Green is, is a hell of a defender all defense caliber guy and and they're both very smart on, on Redick on offense Danny on defense, so I'm really interested in seeing how that matchup plays out. Uh, how how the Raptors try to limit the Sixers' uh, go-to actions that often involve Redick and Embiid, whether that's at the elbow or or at the top of the key with their dribble handoffs. Um, so that's something that I'm looking at forward to. I don't know if, if who the winner of that matchup will decide the series, mm-hmm. but it's something that is interesting to me. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. Um, I think they're used very differently on each team. Like Green is, like Green will have games where he takes like two shots, and this doesn't really matter because he's providing gravity the same way Redick does. He's not featured in a lot of sets or anything like that. Like there's not a lot of the Raptors, you know, play designs are designed to get Danny Green looks. Where I think that's sort of a big focus of what the the Sixers do. Um, but yeah, that is going to be a really fun matchup, and 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 again, I, I'm not sure it's going to be Danny the whole time guarding Redick. I mean, thinking back to the last series, it was mostly Kyle guarding Terrence Ross, who kind of occupied that role, obviously with way less good players around <laughs> to uh, draw defensive attention, and, and like the Raptors were able to put a lot of resources into stopping Terrence Ross when he was on the court because the Magic weren't going to hurt you with Michael Carter Williams or anyone else. Um, but yeah, that that how the Raptors approach Redick is going to be key because if Redick's going off for twenty burgers every game, that's going to be difficult. Like that, and you know, the, the other thing about the series too is a three point battle. Like the Sixers aren't an amazing three point shooting team, um, and they don't really put up a ton of threes compared to the Raptors. I mean, the Raptors like will chuck them up pretty much all day um, if 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 it, if it you know they're getting the good looks, and the Sixers not so much. Like they're more. Um, sort of near the, the bottom of the league in terms of the three-point output and, and sort of their attempts per game. Uh, but if Redick is, like, making good on all those looks and he's, you know, brutalizing whoever he's up against, like, that is going to help tip the scales math-wise in this series and make it a lot closer than maybe it sounds like you think it's going to be. Uh, on that note, predictions, Adam. What are you thinking? How many games? Who's going to win? Uh, and who will Sixers fans hate by the end of the series, and who will Raptors fans hate by the end of the series? <laughs> so, so when we, so when it, so when it was decided that the Sixers were going to play Brooklyn, mm-hmm. the first thing that came to my mind, I swear to God, was Sixers fans are going to hate Jared Dudley by the end of this. <laughs> I didn't know how, I didn't know why, but I knew there's always that guy in the playoff series who you just. You, you hate so much by the end of it. And for some reason, I just knew it was going to be Jared Dudley. And I've been thinking a lot about who this is going to be on Toronto. And I think I'm going with Serge Ibaka. Yep, he and punches people know, a lot. You know he's not afraid to fight somebody. <laughs> Obviously, the whole Marquise Chris thing last month. Um, 
he's gonna he's gonna see a lot of Joel Embiid, uh, the both very physical players. Um, so, as for the most important part, I think Sixers fans are gonna hate Serge Ibaka. The less important part, the actual outcome of the series. <laughs> uh, as you could probably imagine, I think the Raptors are gonna win the series. I feel very confident in that. Uh, I started out, actually, at Raptors in five. The last few days, I've started to stray more towards six. Right. And I'm still not really sure. So if you'll let me, I'll pick Raptors in five or six. But, um, and Sixers fans who are listening to this, I'm very sorry. Uh, there's nothing <laughs> I would want more than for the Sixers to, to beat Toronto. But uh, it just comes down to, like, all of the Sixers' weaknesses as a team seem to play right into Toronto's strengths, whether that's the Sixers are a turnover-happy team and Toronto is so lethal offensively in transition, or the Sixers' bigs are are not light on their feet and Toronto has bigs who can step out and knock down jumpers. Mm-hmm. And I could go on and on. Um, and and it's just, I can't, I can't, as much as I would love to pick the Sixers, there's nothing I would I would do, there's nothing I would rather see than Joel Embiid closing out a series on the road to go to the Eastern Conference Finals. But I just can't predict it because it just seems far-fetched to me. Um, and and I have to admit I was a lot more optimistic before it was clear that Embiid's injury was as significant as it is. Like, clearly he's just, even though he put up tremendous numbers against Brooklyn, that was the best matchup he could have asked for. I don't think I think he's gonna he's certainly gonna get his and he's gonna play very well, but I don't think he's gonna put up the like ridiculous like historically great per minute numbers that he was putting up in round one, mm-hmm. um, and and so ultimately I just I look back at the matchups that they've had this year, even though they were different teams, um, and and I look at just the numbers even of these teams and and just how schematically they should align and match up with each other. And, and I think the Raptors are going to win it handily. Whether that's five or that's six, we'll see. But I think it's going to be Toronto. Yeah, I have been feeling, like I said, a very unnerving amount of confidence about this series. And I, I like the way the Raptors played to close out the Magic was really encouraging, and it seems like they're all kind of coming together, and they're talking as though... They know that they're coming together. That something really cool is forming here, um, and so I, I and that, like I'm pretty much the same as you. Yesterday on the podcast, we were just sort of doing first impressions of the Sixers, and I said I, I can't decide whether I'm Raptors in five or six. I'll go bold. I'll say Raptors in five, but I think it'll be a very close and like angsty five games. Um, I feel like Joel Embiid kind of invites angst to whoever, whatever series he's playing in. And this is coming from someone who loves Joel Embiid. And I'm very much not relishing the idea that I'm not going to like Joel Embiid by the end of this series because... You're, you're going to hate Joel Embiid by the time this year's I promise you. I love Joel Embiid more than almost anybody on the planet. You're going to hate him so much by the end of this because he's going to draw a bunch of annoying looking fouls. He's going to trash talk. <laughs> All that stuff, and it's gonna drive you guys nuts. Yeah, uh, I, I I expect that fully. Also, if Mike Scott ends up playing, he'll definitely have a game where he has like eighteen on like six of seven shooting or something crazy like that. Uh, and I will hate that. Also, also T.J. McConnell feels pretty hateable too. But uh, like you said, he's probably not gonna play very much. Uh, I bet Raptors fans are also going to hate Serge Ibaka, uh, which is funny because. Huh. 
Abak has kind of had this like renaissance this year where he's become like the most likable raptor among raptors fans he's got his cooking show he's been like the Kawhi whisperer like he he's a very fun and easily likable dude but he does tend to punch people and I, I wouldn't be shocked if he punched a person in this series uh i think like i don't think pascal siakam has like enough like He's not hateable enough, and I think him and Joel are like good buddies because they're both from Cameroon, and I think there's like a yeah, nice like, respect and and you know appreciation there between those two. So I think everything will be cordial there, unless they get like real heated, and then it's like brothers fighting each other in a basement. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I just kind of think Abak is the guy. The Raptors aren't terribly hateable. I guess Kyle Lowry could like complain to the refs enough that Sixers fans get mad, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I think Sixers fans already dislike Kyle Lowry, especially after last season when, I believe it was on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, he tried to fight Ben Simmons in the tunnel after they both got ejected at the end of the game. I forgot about that! That ruled! Yeah. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. It, it could easily be Lowry. I think he has some advantage because, you know, he's a Philly guy. Yeah. Villanova, when he gets announced before the game and, and the PA announcer says, from Villanova, that's going to mean something to, to people. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they'll still boo him when he when he has the ball because that's what that's what we do here. But uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, Sixers fans really like anybody who is good. <laughs> they drive us nuts. I like, think I, yeah. Even, like, it's just for, for once, just like a stress free Sixers year, but it never <laughs> happens. <laughs> I think I'm gonna change my pick from a Bach and a Lowry. Lowry takes so many charges and stuff too, um, and he yeah he's always talking to the refs. Uh, yeah, Lowry's going to be the guy. The Philly fans are going to turn on their their native son, and uh, yeah, maybe they will. I don't. I, yeah. I don't entirely disagree with that. I think I, I lean Ibaka because there's the like. I don't think Kyle Lowry is fighting anybody. <laughs> but if you tell me that Serge Ibaka and Joel Embiid get double technicals and get ejected the way Jared Dudley and Jimmy Butler did, <laughs> that would not, not shock me even one bit or even somebody else like I could see Serge Ibaka versus Mike Scott being a thing ooh yeah they, mean, Mike, they played Mike in the playoffs Scott, last year Mike Scott will fight anybody yeah uh, oh man uh, by the way a Serge Ibaka Joel Embiid double tech trade off uh, that, that's Serge that's Ibaka win winning <laughs> yeah this should be a lot of fun man I think there'll be some good sports hate like I said I think it'll be a very closely contested five gamer but I think the edges the Raptors have will bear out when it matters most and I could envision one or two of these games being decided similarly to the first matchup of the year where I'm pretty sure it came down to Kawhi just ripping the ball out of Ben Simmons' hands and going for a dunk at the other end Um, I kind of think that will be a difference in a game or two Uh, so yeah I'll say Raptors in five but I'm looking forward to it and I I always appreciate Sixers fans they seem to have a good you know sense of self-loathing the same Raptors fans do which is always uh endearing and appreciated so uh it should be fun there's no need to be like mean on the internet between raptors and sixers fans it can all be joyous and happy and uh this podcast was very much that adam this was great man this was uh this was awesome having you i took i took like double the amount of time i expected to but hey you're you know your shit and this was a really fun chat where should people check you out uh throughout the series and uh do you have anything that you'd like to plug right now uh, yeah, so I'm going to be putting up, as I mentioned earlier, a big playoff primer on LibertyBallers.com, the SB Nation site for the Sixers. Um, I did one for round one. It got a lot of positive encouragement, so I am doing another one. It's in the process of being completed, kind of just trying to cover 
every single like point of interest, every possible angle uh, that you know could come up where where maybe this one thing, this one aspect of the matchup decides the outcome of a game. I, I basically my goal is if something big happens, if you read my playoff primer, you know, oh that I, I knew that could have happened. Hmm. Um, so yeah, be be on the lookout for LibertyBallers.com for that. Uh, my Twitter is at Sixers Adam. Uh, if you want to read some more negativity from me, if you're a Raptors fan, <laughs> you want to be more optimistic through a Sixers fan's negativity, uh, feel free to follow me there. And uh, that's all I have to plug. Sounds good, man. Uh, this was awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, folks, you can find me on Twitter, as always, at Woodley Sean. Subscribe, rate, review, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and Himalaya. If you're in the market for a new podcast app, Himalaya is the one to check out. Uh, also, you can read a thing. I wrote uh, sort of a two-day recap of Game 5 against the Magic and sort of just applied it to... It was more of a grander piece just about how the Raptors kind of are worth believing in for the first time, actually, in a very... pretty much ever. And how I thought Game 5 kind of sealed that. So if you want to read that, it's on uh, Raptors HQ. The other... the also the SB Nation site for the Raptors. So we... Uh, uh, we're, we're covering you. We're covering you uh, extensively with the SB Nation stuff. So please check out all of the SB Nation sites throughout the playoffs. It's uh, it's good shit over there too. And uh, that's gonna do it. Thank you so much. We will talk to you next time with another episode of Locked On Raptors. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.